0: God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 3, 1-17. through 17. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right. Morning. My name is Ben. If I haven't met you yet, I uh, get to serve as the lead pastor here, one of the elders. And uh, really glad that you're here. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask for God to move uh, during the preaching of the word like he's already moved in the rest of of the service. So if you would, please pray with me. God, we do ask for your presence even now, right now especially. I pray that you would help us to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we, would, uh, we thank you for your power in baptism. We thank you for your power in singing. We thank you for your manifest presence, Holy Spirit, in every other portion of this service. I'm asking and we are asking for your manifest presence now. We're asking, Lord, that you would pour out your power in this room, that we would be people who really do listen and receive, and that the Word would do what only it can do, and that's not return void and penetrate the human heart. Help us worship you right now in listening and sitting under the preaching of the Word. That's me especially. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's kind of a wild book. For those of you who have Uh, ever read this book before or been in services where somebody has tried to preach this book before, uh, you're probably scratching your head going like, what were you guys thinking when you decided to preach through the book of 1 Corinthians? It is wild. There's a lot of wild things going on within this book. Uh, Let me catch you up to speed as quick as I can. Paul um, is an apostle of God. He's a servant of God. Paul wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament, but they're actually letters Um, Paul has written letters to churches that he has planted. And he wrote a lot of them. Church in Ephesus called Ephesians and and the church in Galatia called Galatians. Well, now he's planted a church in a city called Corinth. And he's writing them a letter because he's hearing some really disturbing things about what's happening inside the church. Um, This church has kind of gone off the rails. They're supposed to be following Jesus and Paul planted this church under the guidance of God the Holy Spirit, so that they would be a missional outpost in the city that they're in. And believe me when I say that Corinth needed a missional outpost. It was formerly a Greek city. It got overthrown. It was dormant for over 100 years. And then Rome comes in, takes it over, establishes a new city. And now you've got all of these people from different trade routes that have come in, And there's multiple temples to worship multiple gods and multiple ways to kind of meet your pleasure or meet your needs. Corinth is the type of town that you would go to Corinth and you would say, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That's Corinth. One uh, author described it, one theologian described Corinth as New York, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles all combined. Pretty crazy. Corinth is a crazy town. Paul plants a church there by God's grace. He says, hey, this town needs the gospel. They need to be witnessed to by you. They need to be discipled by you. They need to know that they're chasing their tail with all this cultural stuff and it'll never satisfy them or give them life. They need discipleship. They need you to go from town, from street to street to neighbors to say God loves you, it's true. Um, Without him, you'll be eternally separated in death. You need a savior. What you're chasing after is not good for you. It was very popular in that day, culturally speaking, to have these influencers. See, the Greeks loved their own mind. They loved wisdom. And so they'd be these Greek philosophers that would go around like we have today, influencers, that would basically do these TED Talks about why they are the wisest and why you should follow them. No offense to any influencer in the room, for real. But in that day, that's what it was. They would go around from town to town. And they would stand and they would articulate their wisdom and their hot takes on the world and society. And they would gather these crowds of people, these fans, and people would say, well, I'm of this guy because he's better than your guy. And I'm of this guy because he's better than your guy. And while Corinth, the church, should have been discipling the people around them, what was happening was that Greek wisdom, that cultural tail chase was actually discipling Corinth it was discipling the church so Paul hears about this and he writes a letter and he says oh man we've got to. let me reset you you've lost your way I planted you here and true north is the gospel of Jesus and now true what you have said is true north is the gospel of culture which isn't the gospel at all Not only is it not good news, it's actually not even true. Paul says, let me reroute you. Let me redirect you. That's what Corinth is. They had sort of tossed Paul aside because they said, well, you're not articulate enough. He said earlier, he said, I didn't come to you with articulate words, eloquent speech. I came to you with the gospel of Jesus. He's stating his case to them. He's trying to reroute them, give them another true north, the true north, Jesus. So Paul is making his case to them. And what we're at today, where we've come to today in this letter is chapter 3. There's been a lot of talk for Paul to them about true spirituality, true wisdom, not world wisdom, true wisdom found in Jesus. And now... Paul is gonna give them the thing that they need most and we need most today. And that's the answer to this question. What does it even mean to be a truly godly church member? What does it mean to be a truly godly leader? That's answered in this text today. Let's talk about leadership before we jump into it. I'm gonna tell you something that's not gonna be news to you. We live in a crazy time. It's not any crazier, by the way, than it's ever been, but it, is, it feels uniquely crazy right now. And the reason I bring that up is because Corinth was in a crazy time, so it's appropriate. But one of the ways it's most crazy is because we live in such a skeptical age. See, here's the problem with being skeptical. You're already skeptical a little bit because you're just a human being. We already drive towards conspiracy theories. We already drive towards fear and not trusting authority. We already drive towards that. But now more than ever, it's celebrated. Our lack of trust in institutions, our lack of trust in any type of leader, political or otherwise, I'm not saying that they deserve your trust. I'm just saying our default in this moment is to throw out any type of institution or any type of leader of that institution. And believe me, Accountability is a good thing, but we have done with accountability what we do with every good thing. The pendulum has swung the complete opposite direction. We live in a culture that considers it a virtue to cancel someone. I'm not talking about great people. I don't know. There's so many people canceled every day that who knows if they're good or not. There's probably some people that need to be canceled, but that's the cultural virtue it is to throw everything out, every institution out, every leader out. They're not trustworthy. They don't deserve me. I know better than them. We become cancel culturists and armchair quarterbacks without ever having any real skin in the game. That's happening in Corinth. That's why I bring it up. Today, we're more confused about Christian leadership, and leadership in general, but we're also confused about Christian membership than we've ever been in our lifetime. Paul is talking about both of those things today. And remember this, God actually is the one that wrote the Bible. He wrote it through Paul, among others. So God is telling us some things today about church membership and church leadership. There are traps for both. There are traps for church leaders. One trap is for a church leader to consider themselves an owner and not a steward. Church leaders are stewards, not owners. We do not own the church. Jesus is the head of the body. The church, they think, the ones who take ownership, who grasp for it, it belongs to them. It doesn't belong to God, it doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to the saints, which Ephesians 4 says, my job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry I think it belongs to me. And so what we do as church leaders is we overfunction for people. We overfunction for their care needs. We try to meet them all. We try to be everybody's friend. We try to make ourselves always available and always there. That's a symptom of someone who thinks that they own the church. Also for church leaders when they think they own the church, they lord over people. They have overbearing leadership. They're not able to take advice. They don't ever ask for advice. They're too demanding. Their identity is so wrapped up in success that all they care about are attendance numbers, giving numbers, or whatever else that is a metric to measure whether or not you're successful. They become anxious leaders, thinking that it's up to them to produce this thing that looks on paper like a great church. Those are traps for Christian leaders. Those are some of the traps. If you are a Christian leader in this room today, or maybe you want to be one, those are some of the traps. But there's also traps for church membership. It's when leaders um, replace Jesus, and let me clear that up. It's when church members replace Jesus with church leaders. And here's how they do that. They expect church leaders to meet all of their needs according to their riches and glory. I don't have any riches, by the way. They expect church leaders to provide me with spiritual vitality. This is church members. It's your job, pastor, to provide me with spiritual vitality. They start worshiping leaders and they sing praises about them when they're in awe of their insight. The pastor's job, the leader's job, the church leader's job is to make friendships for me and make happiness happen for me and then sustain it. They're my social director. The pastor's job is to make my marriage better. In a sense, what I'm saying is It's the pastor's job to be my wonderful counselor and my everlasting father and my prince of peace. Trap for church members is when they replace Jesus with leaders. All of this is consumerism. That's the plague of today. Consumerism, you supply my needs according to your riches and glory, leader, member, friend, spouse. And if you don't, then I'm going to do the thing that everybody else does. I'm going to go find another place, and maybe they will supply my needs. And if they don't, then I'll find another place, and we'll just keep on going until we find the right place to supply my needs according to their riches and glory. That happens a lot. That's consumerism. That's church hopping. But now what happens is instead of just the gossip mill, the rumor mill, which is what people will talk about, well, I left there because of this, I left there because of that, now people are getting on social media and they're trying to burn it down. The church itself. It's not new. Social media is, but Corinth was doing it. The church in Corinth is divided and off course. They forgot what true Christian leadership and true Christian membership is supposed to be. And to be honest, in a room this size, a lot of us have as well. That's why this letter is so important and it's so direct. It's a loving rebuke and reminder of how they're supposed to live and who they're supposed to be. I'm gonna invite you to perk up to worship God and you're listening today. I'm preaching to myself, I promise you. Let's listen, let's let it affect our heart. The first thing I want you to see is this, my first point. Healthy church members, healthy church members look to Jesus for their identity, not their leaders. They look to Jesus for their identity and not their leaders. Verse one, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk. It's interesting, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. For you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Healthy church members look to Jesus for their identity and not their leaders. Paul is saying something to them that's so important. He's saying, church, listen to me. This has been a long time coming. Actually, 1 Corinthians is probably more like 2 Corinthians. Paul writes five letters to them in total, and we only have two. That's a lot of writing. Paul says, you should be mature. We should be past where we are. But now you need baby food. You should need solid food, but I have to give you baby food because you're not past it. Well, you might be thinking to yourself, how in the world does Paul even know that he's not with them? Here's how he knows, and this is so interesting to me. The way that Paul diagnoses their immaturity is that he hears that they are saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulos. What an interesting thing. The way he diagnoses their immaturity is for them saying, well, I follow a man. If I were Paul... And I heard about a church, they were like, well, there's, the church is kind of divided, but a lot of them are saying that they follow you. I'd be like, like how many would you say? Like how many people? Like a lot of people or there's like more than the other people that they say they follow? Paul doesn't do that at all. Paul doesn't try to build an army for himself. He clears it up for us in chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He says there's an immaturity and division in the church. There's jealousy and strife. Paul knows because they say that they follow him, and they follow Apollos, and there are divisions among them. They have now elevated leaders to be God and replace actual God. It doesn't work for church members to replace Jesus with anything much less people who aren't Jesus and much less people like me who need the same Savior that you do. Leaders will never satisfy you. There will never be enough for you. We will never be there on time enough. We will never show up enough. We're never gonna read your mind. We're never gonna pursue you enough or provide you with the water that you need to quench your thirst. And what I mean by water is this. There is a drink that quenches human thirst, but it's not me. It's not Pat, Zach, it's not anybody in this church. It is Jesus. My job is to point you to the well that never runs dry. That's Jesus. In order to be a Christian, you cannot look to a leader to follow Jesus for you. You follow Jesus with the supplemental help of leaders in church community, which is actually why we're here in the first place, to all follow Jesus. Healthy church members look to Jesus for their identity and not their leaders. The second point is this, healthy church leaders look to Jesus for their identity and not their members. Church leaders look to Jesus for their identity and not their members. Again, this is a helpful and sobering perspective from Paul. He could have grasped for allegiance. He could have built an army for himself, but he knows how ridiculous and completely stupid that is. You know how he knows that? Because Paul follows Jesus. Paul was the most driven, ambitious dude you've ever seen in your life. His whole job, and he was celebrated, was to go around persecuting, killing Christians. Paul gets interrupted in his life on the way to do that. Jesus comes in and saves him to the uttermost, changes his perspective, changes his life and his heart. So Paul knows it is ridiculous for him to try and build a following for himself. He's not worth following. Jesus is. Leaders are not supposed to be worshiped. God is supposed to be worshiped. Pastors don't own the church. We are church members. We have a role, just like you have a role, and your role is every bit as important as mine. There's no such thing as professional Christians. We're all stewards of the gift of the church, not owners, stewards. Faithful leaders know this, and here's why they can be unified, is because they know that I'm in a role, I am a steward of a place. I can be unified with other stewards of this place. I don't have to grasp for something. I don't have to say I'm of Pat, (laughs) I'm of Ben, which if you're gonna choose, you definitely would need to choose Pat. I'm of whoever. I love Pat Robinson, Pat's one of my best friends, and uh, the other elder in this church with me. I love Zach, one of our great leaders, um, known him for years and years. I love these two men. We're all very different, and I don't look to them. I, I don't look to them and say, "Well, they've got their people, and I've got my people, and blah blah blah." No, no, no. You don't get to lead in this church if that's your posture. This is God's church. I have a role. You have a role. You have a role. They have a role. Pastors don't own the church. We can be unified because of that fact. I can root for other churches, which we do a lot here. I can not say a bad word about other churches. I can hold up other pastors, which we do a lot here. All of it goes against the grain of a lot of modern church culture or some modern church culture. The modern church, man, we have elevated guys with the best hot takes. We've elevated pastor influencers. We love their sound bites, and they become popular because of it. I don't think there's anything wrong in the world with social media necessarily. Um, I don't think there's anything. I do think there's something wrong with hot takes, to be honest with you. But we elevate this, man. We we look to this type of thing because. It makes us go, well, I am of this person and I am of this person. I listen to this dude. When One of the things we talk about a lot in this church is the expert Christian mentality where you just listen to a lot of pastors, but you don't ever actually root in a church under a pastor. So nobody knows us. And we just say, I'm of this person, I'm of this person, therefore I'm good. It's like, they don't know you. Paul is redirecting their route. He's setting them back on course. Healthy church members find their identity in Jesus, not their leaders. Healthy leaders find their identity in Jesus, not their members. And the third thing is this, healthy churches are built on Jesus. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the day of the Lord, that is the day that the Lord will return, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved not only, but only as through fire. Paul is basically saying to us here Build the church, the foundation on Jesus. You know when you know that you'll be faithful is when you see Jesus on the day of the Lord there's a lot that can look really faithful. Grow a big place, have a big crowd, not be a church at all, and it looks like, man, you're doing good. High five, you're a great pastor, it looks like you're doing really well. Church is growing, there's a lot of buzz about it, a lot of talk of the town about your church or whatever. You can actually do all of that and still not be a true church, not be centered on Christ. What makes a church a true church? It's this. It's being centered on and circling back around and being constantly reminded that Christ has been crucified for you and that he rose from the dead and that you need him to be saved. The gospel is the center of a church. Amenities and things that we do and things that we provide and whether or not we serve Folgers or something else that's not as good as Folgers in my humble yet accurate opinion. Whatever it is, what our bathrooms are like or what they're, you know, I, look, man, I, I'm so grateful for this building. Um, this thing is old, man. I mean, 100 years old. There's stuff that breaks about every day, at least every week. When the air conditioner's working properly, if you've been in a member here for a while, you'd just be like saying, well, praise the Lord. How did this happen? We finally got the air to come on in this church. It's working well today. You guys are Welcome. Look, there's so much, man, about this building that's like, we're not going to avoid doing good work on this building, but our bathrooms are, I apologize, I apologize to the first service for our bathrooms, I'm apologizing to you, they are what they are. There's plumbing, so we're okay, but the door shuts, we're good, but they ain't the best. Nobody's going to go to that bathroom and take pictures and put it on Instagram, you know what I mean, like it's just not the best bathroom in the world. Our space, our building, all of this stuff, man, it's like amenities, what we provide, hospitality, we want to do all of that. There's nothing inherently wrong with doing any of those things, but the bottom line is this, this building could fall to the ground and the Lord would still build the church in a field. Yes. And what makes a church centered is that the church preaches Christ and him crucified. That's the lampstand that God puts down in a place. That's how Revelation talks about churches with lampstands and churches that lampstands are removed. God plants churches and then he also unplants them. He's the head of the body. It'd be entirely possible for us to build a great building or whatever. I'm not saying I don't have anything against that stuff. But to do something, to put it all together to where you feel super comfortable. I mean, it's not hard is what I'm saying to build a crowd. That's not hard. What is hard is to build a church. What's even harder is to build a healthy church and sustain it. You know why? Because leaders tend to think it's up to us and that's actually the worst case scenario. It's not. The best thing that I can do for you and the best thing that you can do for me and each other is to point each other to the stone that the builders rejected, Jesus the cornerstone of the church. Healthy churches are built on Jesus, on Christ and him crucified. In the American church, consumerism is such a part of the fabric of our being, it's in our bloodstream. We get mad, we don't agree with one thing, somebody makes us mad, they don't have what we need, the kids space, the whatever it is, and it's time to go. I spent some time in Thailand uh, years ago, 20 years ago. And um, 20 years ago when I was six. I'm just kidding, <laughs> older than that. Uh, I spent some time in Thailand and one of the things that was so fascinating to me was you've got a predominantly Buddhist culture there. I love the Thai people, by the way. And Thai food is one of my favorite foods in the world. Um, you've got a predominantly Buddhist culture which a lot of gods, Buddhism is, they would consider it to be not even, it's a religion, but not necessarily, he's not really a god. Buddhism accepts a lot of gods. And one of the things that was really fascinating to me was the difference between American church culture and Thai church culture. For those of you who have ever been in a place that's considered unreached, the gospel for them was too good to be true. The story of Jesus, the story of a God who would listen to, even like care what I have to say, let alone come down and become one of us. And then not just lord it over people, but die for us. It wasn't that they had heard it a thousand times. It wasn't that it was old hat to them like it is to us. It was that that story just is too good to be true. Meaning, like, I can't believe that God would ever actually do something like that. So when God finally did open up their heart and they accepted Jesus, you know what happened? It was still good too good to be true. With gratitude, they'd be like, you have got, to their friends and family, you have got to hear this story. God came to earth. I didn't deserve it. He didn't have to do it. But he did it. And you know what else? He was born from a woman that he created. And you know what else? He totally grew up, worked a regular job, never sinned one time. And you know what else? He was betrayed and murdered by his closest friends. And you know why? You know why he did that? Because that's the only way that you and I could know him. He did it because he wants to know us. We've got this. We need a little bit more too-good-to-be-true gratitude in our church. It's old hat to us, the gospel. That's why we take the table every single week, by the way. Because we need the reminder every week. Christ and him crucified. That's how you're saved. Healthy churches are built on Jesus. They're built on Jesus. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Faithfulness isn't about nice buildings or big crowds. Faithfulness won't even be revealed until we stand face to face on the day with Jesus. It's not rewarded in this life. So how is a godly church built? It's not through leader worship. It's not by leaders being agreeable. It's not by having the right amenities or giving a good experience. It's also not by overfunctioning for each other. Godly churches are not built by me following Jesus for you. True church is built by telling the truth of the gospel every single week, pointing people away from leader worship and idolatry and pointing them to Jesus. I'm going to end with a warning that Paul gives us in verse 16. He says, Do you not know? that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Sometimes people read this and they think about the temple being the body and don't destroy your body. I, there's some, I get that you shouldn't destroy your body, by the way. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the church, which is a stark warning today for all of us in the room where it is, in a culture where it is widely accepted and celebrated for you to not just leave an institution, not just leave the church, but also burn it down on your way out. This is the warning for us. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around theologically, but it is true, it is a fact. Destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. He loves his church. Broken, bruised, Crazy acting, not always loyal. He loves his church. People that sometimes break your trust, break your heart. He loves it. He knows all of that better than you do. He loves this, he loves the church. He is jealous for it. There's no way around it. Destroy the temple of God. God will destroy you. He is jealous. If you're a member today and you have hurts or unresolved conflict, do the right thing. Talk to the people who've hurt you and work it out. But don't make mountains out of molehills. And also realize that you may not be right. That's what we do. We let our reasonableness be known to each other and we outdo one another in showing honor. That sounds so much better than dog eat dog in the world. Let's stand together.